0: Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,122 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we are continuing with our ongoing series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week four on a 14-week series from the book of James titled, Wisdom is Faith in Action. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Thanks, Paula. Thanks, Evie. Thank you for those that are watching online. Just to give you an insight on the effectiveness of our the messages being played online, we're getting about 30 views a week from those people online. So we just praise the Lord for that. For whatever reason, people can't be here, whether they don't live in the area or they're just unable to be here on Sunday mornings. It is an effective ministry, and I thank John for helping out and preparing those every week for us so that we can post them online. So thank you, John, for, for your work there. And just be praying for those that, that aren't able to be here, um, and those that, are, that our ministry will be, impact those that are able to watch it online. And thank you for being here today. As we begin or continue with our message from James, Wisdom is Faith in Action, and today we're going to look at listening and doing. And as we continue this series of the Proverbs of the New Testament, which we refer to as the book or the letter of James, last week we discovered that we should not be misled by sin because we are God's prized possessions. And today we are focusing on listening and doing. They have to go hand in hand. So if you'll join me on page 1881 in the Pew Bible or on your own Bibles or on your phone, I'll read the scripture from today, James chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-seven, and that's page eighteen eighty-one in the pew Bibles. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on the tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself oneself from being polluted by the world. We've experienced a lot of issues with disease and death, even in our small congregation here at Putnam this year. But there's a debilitating disease that's crippling the entire body of Christ. It's a syndrome that's so common that it seems to affect every believer with either a mild or an acute case. This insidious condition neutralizes the church's impact and nullifies its testimony. It can diminish its effectiveness and paralyze us and our work for the Lord. What is this problem? It's a divorce between confession and deed, between theology and action, between listening and doing. As a result, God's words fails to make it from the head to the heart for so many Christians. And even more so, than it fails to, from those that do get it in their heart. Many times it fails to get from our hearts to our hands to do something about it. In developing an overarching lesson that real faith produces genuine works, James has already dealt with the Christian's perseverance through trials, which proves our faith in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 1, and the believer's victory over temptation, which demonstrates our character in verses 13 through 18. And as the theme of this series shows us that wisdom is faith in action. This final section of chapter one that we're going over today, James zooms in on the believer's appropriate response to God's word. The break in the relationship between belief and behavior has become a pandemic among Christians. But James reminds us that these two estranged partners of listening and doing in the Christian walk can be reconciled once again. If you look, in, as we start in verse 19, James begins with this reminder. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And unquestionably, we know that he's writing to believers because he says, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he begins to acknowledge that we should already know what he's talking about and is about to say here. In the New Living Translation, it says, understand this instead of take note of this. So basically the same phrase, Yes, this is what James is implying. Yes, I know you are aware of what I'm about to cover, but you need to hear it again. I feel the need to review it, to revisit some of the basic concepts. In that sense, the phrase, understand this, serves as a mild command. Remember what you were taught. And through the passage today, it's also a mild rebuke that you have forgotten what you learned before. What is the content of this knowledge? Well, there's three essential things that fertilizes the heart's soil in preparation for receiving the planting of God's Word in our hearts, as we'll look at in verse 21. But the first of those are, we must be quick to listen. The command means more than just merely sitting there, listening to somebody talk. James wants us to receive the words that are spoken with genuineness. Let me give you an illustration in the form of reading instead of listening. If you remember in high school or college where you had a list of books that you were assigned to and you had to read all those books, and what did most of us do? Well, our eye scanned the words on the, page, the, page, words on the pages and the sentences passed through our retina, but the ideas didn't seem to really make it into our brain. The goal of that kind of reading was to check it off our reading list, saying, yes, I read it, professor. I'm done with that assignment. But there's another type of reading. Authentic reading includes highlighting or underlining essential points, taking notes, rereading, and even incorporating what we've learned in discussions and our writings. Now, it should be obvious which type of reading is more effective. The same is valid for our listening. When we listen to others, and even our conversations as we meet on Sunday mornings. A good listener will listen to understand where that person's coming from than just to try to form a rebuttal or a response. And so many times when we're talking, we're listening, but it's in our minds we're trying to formulate what we're going to say back. And we're really not understanding what's being said. And this is what James is getting at in this section of chapter 1. Jesus himself complained about the hypocrites of his day in Matthew chapter 13, verse 14, where he says, This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear me, hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. And he followed up with a sentiment and in this interpretation in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, where he says, The one to on whom was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the words and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no firm root in himself, and it is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, he immediately falls away. It really didn't grasp what was being taught. Jesus' teaching forms the background of James' entire letter. Having just discussed that we endure through the trials of life, and overcome the temptations of sin, James wants us now to warn us against the failures to receive God's word with a ready heart, which if we don't, it will lead to disaster. To receive the word effectively, to be quick to listen, we must also be slow to speak. Putting a damper on our tongue, and that's so hard to do. We just want to expound on our knowledge and give what we think about something. The other side of listening well is keeping our mouth shut, making room for thinking, for pondering, for meditating, for considering. These are all elements of an authentic listener and learner. Right on the hills of slow to speak, he gives us another admonition. James attaches the word slow to become angry. In the Greek word text, In this passage, these three elements does not have a conjunction between the three. They are so closely related to the precondition of receiving the planted word in our hearts that James conceives them as connecting links within a chain. Say our life is a series of chain links. Well, James today is telling us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. They're so linked together that they can't be separated. And what brings its strength is that these links are all linked together. And this is what James is referring to. You can't be quick to listen if you're not slow to speak and if you're not slow to anger. They must be connected together like a link on a chain. And this is what James implies here. But how does becoming slow to become ang- being slow to become angry relate when we're receiving word from other people? But just think about when people are talking with us; they may be encouraging us, or they may be exhorting us, and we sometimes want to respond or retaliate. It connects a part of the conjunction or function of God's word in the lives of the believer. Paul tells us in First Timothy or Second Timothy, chapter three, sixteen, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. When the Word, especially God's Word, hits close to home as sinners, our natural response is to be defensive, to be indignant at times and lash out with anger, saying, well, that's not what I meant, instead of learning from it. We don't want our crookedness to be held up to the perfect standard, but that's just what happens when we let God's Word expose our innermost thoughts and actions. Instead of allowing us to respond in anger, James calls us to respond in peace. In verse 20, he says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness or right living that God desires. Anger rejects rebuke. Peace accepts rebuke. Anger dismisses correction. Peace embraces it. It would be like going up to somebody and they push you away, and instead you wanted an embrace from them. And that's what peace does. It embraces another person that may have even offended you because you're slow to anger. It's that embracing instead of pushing away. In verse 21, we go on to, it says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So after preparing to receive the truth and opening our ears, the ears of our heart, zipping our lips, and suppressing the urge to strike back, we are now ready to receive the truth. Nestled in the short verse is a simple command that ties the whole section together, and that's the word "accept." The word usually means more than just passively accepting or acknowledging something. It often includes the idea of fully embracing, making thing, that thing part of ourselves. The word was used in John chapter four, verse 45, where the people welcomed Jesus gladly for they saw all he was doing. More appropriate in the usage of James is that were the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those of Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And they searched the scripture day after day to see if if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So they had that twofold there. In 1 Thessalonians 16 or 1.6, it also said, Receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the severe sufferings it brought you. And also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, you accepted what we said as the very Word of God. And indeed what Paul was writing here became canon, the part of Scripture. So they received it as the Word of God, and indeed it was. This passage illustrates the eagerness, a responsive, earnest reception that James implies or has in mind in verse 21. Because an angry response to the word does not produce right living. We must therefore receive the word in a certain way. James describes that condition that must accompany receiving or accepting that word, embracing that word. He says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept. Humbly accept, embrace in humbleness that word planted in you which can save you. Now, not to be too gross today, but let's say this, ear, this play-doh is equivalent to earwax. And this is what happens when we don't listen to God's word. Our ears become full of wax. And I had one day this week where my left ear was sort of clogged, and it was disconcerting, it almost made me feel well uneasy on my feet at times. And that's what this moral filth will do. It plugs our ears. It's wickedness that slows our response time. You have to be more careful when your ears are plugged. But humility means submitting to whatever the word tells us. Ready to put off. Take that wax out. the deeds of our old lifestyle. And in favor of the attitudes. And actions of a new life, which takes us then to the verses 20 through 22 through 25. James' logical progression is elegant and straightforward, preparing for receiving and responding to God's truth. First, the soil of our souls should be cultivated. Think about planting some flowers in the spring. First, you dig up the soil, you cultivate it. Second, then you have to plant those seeds in the the pot, and third. As those seeds grow in plants, when weeds come up, you must sprout or pull out those weeds that form somehow miraculously in your garden. You have to pull those weeds of anger, filth, and wickedness. They must be uprooted. The soil is ready. The seeds are planted. But having gotten this far in our process, God's word still hasn't borne fruit in our lives until we allow those seeds to sprout and grow and bear fruit. That is the required response. James commands us with this do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says, as Paul's children's message had included. If one phrase in James' letter could be called the key phrase in the entire letter, this is it don't merely listen, but do what it says. That phrase sums up the whole theme of our book, wisdom is faith in action. Those who hear without doing are guilty of fake faith. But those who hear and do demonstrate authenticity in their Christian lives. Note that Jesus doesn't merely say do what it says. He tells us it pairs with like a two-sided coin. On one side, it says, do what it says. But on the other side, it says, don't merely listen to the word. So you have to listen, and then you have to do. It requires both. If you, don't, if you listen and don't do, whoop, sorry about that, Ella. <laughs> then it's worth it. You drop the coin. I meant to do that. <laughs> um, if you don't do what it says, it's like dropping the coin because you've only done half of what it says. You could do without listening and it's like Paula's peanut butter and tomato soup. She didn't follow the instructions and her family didn't like the soup. So we have to have both of those. Listening, hearing, and receiving the word is the necessary first step. The word must be understood. It must be lodged in our hearts and the key is that we have to do both parts. Just as Paula's illustration was, if I, and I do a lot of the cooking in our house, Paula's a good cook, but she figures if I will do it, why should she bother with it? And I'll usually try to help her out anyway when she tries to cook, so she says, "Ah, no sense in doing that. Well, today we're making Chinese cashew chicken. I say, "Ah, I know it has chicken in it. It's good enough for me. I'll do the rest on my own. How's that going to turn out? I don't know the proper mix of ingredients. I don't know what cashews to put in, what other seasonings to put in. It may not turn out very well at all. Now I do enough sort of rogue cooking where I can get it pr- pretty close. But a lot of times follow say, hey, you've put a little bit too much pepper in this, didn't you? Or a little bit too much salt. Well... I didn't think it was that much, but yes, it is a bit much. So following that recipe is so important. In contrast, James says that our Christian life not only is one of listening, but of doing. Therefore, if you merely listen to the word without acting on it, you deceive yourself. I could think of myself as a good cook, but if I don't follow the recipes, probably more often than not, they won't turn out well. And that's what James means here. James follows this appeal by doing, telling us to do what it says. James describes two different kinds of Christians here. The first one we will call the forgetful hearer. In James 23 and twi- or verse 23 and 24, James uses the illustration of a person who glances in the mirror, sees what they look like, which is apparently not very attractive, then shrugs and walk away. Well, I could stick the Play-Doh up my nose, but I won't do that for today. So let's go back to the earwax illustration. And I wake up in the morning, oh, see, I'll let you guys look at yourself and see if you like what you see by Look in the mirror, oh, man. Got some hefty-duty wax coming out of them ears today. <laughs> oh, well. I'm not going to do anything about it. And I just leave it in. What do you think when I meet people, what they'll think? That boy's got a problem. (laughs) And that's what James is talking about here, shrugging and walking away and doing nothing about it. Similarly, when we look into God's mirror, his word, and we see what it tells us, what kind of person we're to be, James places that picture of those who glance at the scripture and then set it aside and don't do anything about it. They look at the words on the page, then they close the Bible, and they go away, forgetting what God has said about their condition. But we know that James is telling us to take the wax out of our ears, do what the Bible says. An analogy is looking into God's Word and saying, it tells me to be kind to others, but then I go out and immediately treat somebody like dirt. That's the analogy that James is wanting to get across. Looking in a mirror and seeing a flaw but not doing anything about it is like looking in God's Word and not heeding what it says. But the second type of Christian that James brings to us today is the effective doer. In his Word in verse 25, and what characterizes this type of person? They give careful attention to the Scripture, which James calls the perfect law that gives freedom. Do you want freedom in your life? God gives it to us. The perfect law that gives freedom is his word. The person who looks intently, looks deeply, obeys willingly, responding positively, abiding by its principles, instead of listening and forgetting, they listen and do what it says. This person will be blessed in what they do. And if you remember back to the Sermon on the Mountain the Beatitudes, what the word blessed means... It means to be made genuinely happy, to be filled with joy because we're in the pursuit of doing what is right. We have to have a well-grounded faith, which results in a well-rounded living. James next describes those who consider themselves religious. And so often we do sort of get on our high horse and think, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty religious person. But the Greek word for religion, which occurs twice in these two verses, 26 and 27, refers not to one's personal conviction or principles, but as we participate in a body or community of believers. This is what he's referring to on the religion in these verses. This is important because James says that the person who does not keep a tight rein on his tongue deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. It's like garbage. How many times have we seen this to be true? Unfortunately, when a Christian witnesses somebody whose life is living a life of hypocrisy, where they, they claim to live a, be a good guy, but they see their life as contrary to that, those who are not Christians categorize all Christians in the same boat. It makes us all look bad, not just a person who's claiming the name of Christ for himself. In a typical way, James provides a positive example. And I like, and I tend to always look at the positive side of of most everything and downplay the negative. And that's what James does in this. Those who live consistent with their religion give attention to the needs of others. And we do well at this at Putnam. But we need to keep it in mind because in verse 27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So there's a two pronged admonition here. There are clear examples of genuine faith demonstrating the uniqueness and truthfulness of the Christian message. James is pointing out when we assist those who are most vulnerable in our society, then we're practicing pure and faultless Christianity. It was different in the days of James, at least slightly. The orphans and the widows had no way to to be able to provide for themselves. They depended on others. And that was the group of people that James says, those who focus on the orphans and the widows. Our group may be a little bit different today, but our admonition is still the same. James thus concludes this first significant section of the letter by hitting at some of the practical themes that he'll return to over the next few weeks in our messages. Two major topics in chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3 are putting genuine faith into practice, which is chapter 2, and controlling our tongue, which is the first 12 verses of chapter 3. And we'll cover those over the next few weeks. But for this week, let's remind ourselves that the foundation that James has laid in this first chapter, he argued that godly wisdom produces genuine stability when our faith is tested. And he demonstrates this point in three different examples. First, he argued that the ordinary trials of life don't crush our genuine faith. They produce endurance or perseverance. Second, he urged us as, re- as our, the readers of his letter to overcome temptations to sin by relying on God-given strength. And finally, he explains that genuine faith results in submission to God's word without hypocrisy. So what are some of the applications as we wrap up today? Well, the application is today is reconciling that great divorce that we see in the church today where we have become disconnected from the elements that produce good works. He says we can reconcile that. We can once again become reunited from that divorce that's happened in God's church. Now, unfortunately, domestic divorce between husband and wife, even within the church, has become somewhat of an epidemic. But still, spiritual divorce, what we're talking about here in James, the breach between the truth of what we hear in God's word and the lifestyle that we live in the world has become a pandemic. And we all certainly know how devastating a pandemic can become on the entire world today. Divorce was the theme of the Old Testament prophets when they confronted the nation of Israel who had separated themselves from God, turned their back on him, and went after other gods. And this is what James is saying. We need to reconcile that, to bring it back. Yet all too often, we open the Word and say, man, what a great practical principle God's Word had for me today. Or we might hear a message on Sunday or on the radio or on TV and say, what a fantastic, inspiring message. But then we close God's Word or we walk out the doors of the church and we return to our practices of our everyday life. We divorce what we've heard and live like we want to. But what are some of the examples of a pure and faultless Christianity in which listening and doing are reconciled? They're linked back together. They're reconciled together. First, don't divorce the truth from your speech. Our hearts are deceived when we speak contrary to what we read in God's scriptures or hear on Sunday mornings? Do our conversations with others match our time of reflection in God's word? Does our Monday through Saturday speaking conform to what we hear on Sunday? When there's no divorce between his word and our words, then we have authentic Christianity. Second, don't divorce the truth from the needs of others. Are we moved by the needs of others? leading to actions to meet those needs. And this isn't a social gospel. This isn't watering down scripture at all. In fact, this is the very heart of the gospel. The pure and faultless Christianity, and that's the true faith that touches people's lives. The truth should be manifest itself in the words, but also in deeds. When our works benefit those around us in a tangible way, observable way, then it's pure and faultless Christianity. When we at Putnam help others, and we do to a great extent, especially within the congregation, but we also have an outreach that impacts us, that we're living out what God's word says. And just to give a a minor report from Gospel Mission Food Pantry, which we help and donate to, they were able to assist 288 people this last Wednesday when they were open. 288 people got more food, clothing, toiletries, things that they need in their lives. Because we're willing to help Gospel Mission, and Kathy and Jeff are so dedicated to that mission to help other people's lives. In addition to that, they were able to pass out 22 Bibles to individuals who now have the Word of God in their home. Other examples are the shoeboxes that we do through Operation Christmas Child or the relief efforts that Samaritan Purse does throughout the world, supporting our missionaries either through our church or through individual contributions to missions. My admonition to you, let us keep moving forward as we're told in Galatians 6, verse 9. So let us not get tired of doing what is good, At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. And the third example James gives is, don't divorce the truth from your upright lifestyle. The gray waters of compromise and smog, of immorality that is increasing or seems to be increasing within our world, that's polluting our world from a spiritual standpoint. Instead, in letting our lives be impacted by this secularism that dirties our testimonies, We must let the Word of God wash us clean. It's like taking a shower after you've been so sweaty and dirty. Washing us clean, or a good bath to soak in. The contrast between us and those that don't know Christ, that are not citizens of God's kingdom, should be obvious. We learned in our messages on the Sermon on the Mount that today's Culture has turned upside down. And I think more today than ever, maybe it's because social media is so prevalent, but it just seems like the craziest have been released on the world. But we as believers, when we walk uprightly, when we both listen to God's Word and we do what we're told and to help others, then it's then. We can turn our culture back right side up because we'll be living As citizens of God's kingdom, that is pure and faultless Christianity. Listening and doing are tightly partnered. They're reconciled together like the links of a chain. They're linked together. And since we've talked about cookbooks today, it's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Once you put it together, there's little hope on separating that. That's what our faith is. It's like macaroni and cheese. Once you get that gooey cheese all over that macaroni, there's no separating that cheese from the macaroni again. It's a single unit now. That's the same as listening and doing. Both aspects, both sides of the coin. And once they're bound together, they cannot be separated. That's the word that we want to learn today. And next week, we'll explore another prevalent subject in today's world as we start with James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 partiality and prejudice two hot topics in our world today and how we should handle those as citizens of God's kingdom so I encourage you this week to read James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 and then we will learn what James has for us next week let us pray Father we do thank you for your word help us to be not only listeners to your word or hearers of your word, but doers also. Let us not deceive ourselves into thinking that we can do one without the other. Let us not think that we can live one way when we come together as a congregation and live a different way when we go out to our work, or lives. Let us realize that they're like macaroni and cheese. They're one and the same. They cannot be separated. Help us to live lives that are pure and faultless, ones that are pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend. As I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. As we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly.